two times this week with uh, Abby and Titus. Um, you all know these are my, my children. They, um, maybe it's just that I'm a little more aware this week, but they are saying words that, that my wife and I say. And it, it's, it's really kind of uncomfortable to hear them repeat back things that, that I, I've said. It's not that I'm necessarily saying things that are inappropriate. It's that it's a reminder that they are going to sound like me. And that, that, you know, Titus has started to imitate little things I do. And, in fact, actually, I, uh, I, every week when I sit down to do uh, highlighting of my notes, like I'll print up pages and pages of notes in the beginning of the week, and he'll sit, and he'll go through notes with me and say, Dad, you should highlight that part. You know, and basically it's, you know, adult coloring. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is a big deal to him, like, to be a part of the highlighting process. And, the, and he's telling me, oh, I'm going to be a pastor one day just like you. And I, I think, well, hopefully you'll be a good one. Um, but the, the, the thing I'm getting at is this weird reality that, that um, as our children grow, as young people grow, they, they tend to imitate and they grow into something, right? Um, and, and it is very much the case for the church as well. We've been talking about the church as sort of the body of Christ and how we imitate Christ and how we, we are to be unified and how we're, we're to take care of each other and how we each have a different part. And just because you're not like the next guy doesn't mean you're not a part of the church. This week what we're going to talk about is how individuals grow within the church and God's design for that. Um, and Paul has given us a couple of really good passages, actually quite a few really good passages, um, dealing with the idea of the body as a metaphor, like for the body of Christ and the church and whatnot. And we're going we're gonna to kind of work through another one of these this week. Um, I almost did Psalm 68 because he quotes Psalm 68, but he sort of bumps into it and keeps going, and I couldn't, couldn't justify doing another Psalm sermon. So... Um, the series so far, like I said, we've been talking about the body of Christ. We've been talking about the church. We've been talking about um, what that looks like. Uh, the church in action um, is, is literally um, being Jesus' hands and feet and his voice in this world. So where people are broken, where people are lonely, where people are hurt, where people need the gospel, like that is what the church does is, is it serves those things and speaks those words and shares the gospel. Um, so we're going to be in Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians, real quick, um, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all theology, right? Like it's, there's a midway point where one to three is all theology, and it's telling us about who God is, about Jesus, about um, salvation and whatnot, and then um, from four and on is all ethical teaching, right? And like it's easy to miss something in that because ethical teaching, and I like to know what I'm supposed to do, it is all Here's how you apply the stuff you've just learned, right? But it's informed by what we believe. So how you live, right? This is what Paul's built up to here. How you live is informed by what you believe. Who God is and what the reality of Jesus in you is changes how you live your life. Um, And in this case, it is. And it's easy to lose track of this when you do ethical teaching. And so I'm going to like real clear here. Um, We as believers are not saved by belonging to the church, the visible church. We are not saved by the works we do. We are not saved by being good. We're not saved by behaving better than the next guy. None of that stuff will get you into heaven. If that's your plan, you need to reassess. Got it? Because it is not, like, that's not the gospel that the scriptures put forward. What the Bible teaches, what Paul teaches, what Jesus taught, is salvation is a product of us coming under Jesus' lordship, following Jesus who died for our sins. So like every bad thing I've done, every sin I've ever committed, and all of us have done them, right? 
Like those sins, we're forgiven because Christ died for us. And that, that death is sufficient to forgive us and to make us into new people. And we live our lives then becoming new, um, becoming like Jesus. And, and so that is, that is where salvation comes from. But we're going to talk about some, some how-to stuff here. And so Paul starts his teaching here in chapter 4. Um, as a prisoner of the Lord, by the way, Paul is in prison while he writes this letter. Now, if I was in prison, right, if I was in prison, in fact, I, I was driving down to Fort Benton the other day and I got pulled over. Um, I know everybody's shocked because <laughs> I, I would never drive my car too fast. And I'm pretty sure there was something wrong with the radar. But um, I got pulled over and I got a speeding ticket. And I, I, there were a number of things I thought, and it's not quite being in prison, right? But it was... Boy, I hope nobody finds out about this. Boy, I hope the guy gives me a warning and lets me go. Boy, I hope... I mean, all these things I thought, but one of them was not, I hope that officer's having a good day. It was not, I hope the kids are doing really well in the car that just passed me. You know, because my wife and the kids were driving another car and they passed me. Otherwise, my wife would have been there. She's not here. She, she would have been there to remind me not to drive so fast. Um, <laughs> whether I was driving fast or not. Um, <laughs> so... Paul is in jail, and the first thing he says is, um, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Paul's concern isn't, feed me, make sure that somebody is coming with food for me, make somebody sure somebody is passing on my letters, get me a good lawyer, also would have been high on my list if I was in jail, right? Um, it was, hey, guys, I'm in jail I'm in jail for serving Jesus and for preaching the gospel. Um, please, please, please live a life worthy. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Um, by the way, the, the word receive there, this is the NIV. I like the NIV for a lot of things, but every once in a while it, it does a disservice to the text. And this would be an example. Like in an effort to make it sound like normal English and not awkward, they changed a word there. It is... To live a life worthy of the calling you have been called to, right? And the point is, God has called you to live a certain way. God has called you to a certain life. God has called you to a job, to a role. And you are, like, like that's huge. Like, that calling is put on you. And you're, you're, you're not to forget the fact that you were called to that calling. Um, I, I've met pastors who forget that they are only pastors because Jesus called them to be a pastor, right? Like, they think, oh, well, I'm pretty awesome. Nope. Like, Jesus picks us for jobs. Jesus calls us to do things. We do not pick on our own. Like, we are called to what we are. And we are called for a reason. Like, and, and it's not on us. It is him. Um, and we're to live a life worthy. What does that mean? Um, he's about to dig into this. But these first three sentences are one sentence, right? Like, in Greek... Um, Greek is a really difficult language because um, a single sentence might be like 10 pages long. And Paul's notorious for that, where you'll read like, you know, three, four pages, and you're like, oh, well, that was all one sentence in Greek. You know, it, it's very challenging to translate that kind of thing. This is all one sentence, and the calling to which you have been called, a life worthy of the calling you've been called, um, is sort of the subject. And then from there it is, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The most important part of that is 
live this life worthy of the calling you've been called to. And then to modify it, he says, what does that look like? It looks like humble and gentle, patient. Um, By the way, in ancient Greek society, Ephesus is in Greece, in ancient Greek society, these were considered to be vices. Like we think humility is a good thing. It was not in ancient Greece. You were humble because you were awful and you had nothing to brag about. Right? Like, you, you were generally somebody who told everybody how great you were, and that's part of how you, you know, were awesome in Greek society. And Paul is putting this on his head. He's saying, hey, be humble. Don't brag about yourself. Don't think higher of yourself. And, in fact, elsewhere, Paul says, in the church, you're to think of others as more important than yourselves and look after their needs before you look after your own. Like, it is a huge upside-down world that Paul is presenting. And when he says... Um, a life worthy. He's talking about something very different, radically different from the culture that, that they are in. Um, bearing with one another in love. Now watch this. Bearing with one another is another one where they translated it nice. They, they kind of polished it up. The phrase is put up with each other in love. <laughs> my, my wife laughs sometimes. She'll say, you know, a lot of people ask me why I put up with you. Right. Like, so if you can imagine having to deal with somebody who is maybe a little obnoxious or a lot obnoxious, maybe somebody who rubs you the wrong way some days, maybe somebody who steps on your feet or is too loud or doesn't talk when you want them to talk or doesn't, you know, clean up after themselves, which most of these apply to me, by the way, I'm literally rattling off my worst tendencies, um, Put up with each other in love. The word love there is not touchy-feely love. It is not deeply emotional, like like Twitter-pated love. It is agape. Agape is selfless love. It is the love that God has for the creation, right? It is a Paulism. Paul coined this term for us. And what a gift it is. It means to love somebody expecting nothing in return. It is to love someone selflessly. It is to sacrifice of yourself in loving the people around you. And so when Paul describes how the church is supposed to behave, we are supposed to put up with one another in selfless love. That's hard, right? I mean, that's not even a little hard. That's a lot hard. Like, it is difficult to put up with each other. It is difficult to, like, deal with each other in close proximity and not be offended sometimes and not be insulted sometimes, especially when you deal with somebody who's hard to put up with, right? But this is when Paul describes a life worthy of the calling we've been called to put up with each other in love. Um, Make every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That unity thing is we're going to come back to this over and over again, over and over again, because this is a major theme in Paul's um, writing, oh, doggone it. Um, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. Um, so what Paul is doing here, it seems really repetitive. One this, one that, one this, one that. What Paul is emphasizing here is he's saying, look, um, in the church, one, right? Um, I have a, I have a, collection of children's books that I read to the kids when they were younger, um, and now Abby can read, and so she's reading them to Titus, uh, about, about an elephant and a pig, uh, Piggy and Gerald. Anybody else have small children and know these books, or is it literally just me? Um, Piggy is like a little pig, and he's really cheerful, and Gerald is like this big elephant, and he's really gloomy, right? And in one of the stories, they're celebrating Pig Day, right? And, and it's, 
everything's about Piggy anyway. He's kind of snotty, um, in my fatherly opinion. Um, but but he's he's ever cheerful and everything else. And like Gerald stands back and he looks and he's like, well, all these pigs are celebrating. They're all happy, and I'm not like them, so I don't belong. And he walks off and he's kind of sad about it. And he's like, well, I'm not like you people, so I don't get to be here, right? Um, this is the opposite of what Paul is talking about. Got it? We are one. You might be different than me. I might be obnoxious. You might worship raising your hands in the air. You might pray out loud. I might pray quietly. We might, you know, like like whatever. I mean, all of these variances. We might um, have different preferences. We might have, like, different flavors of theology. We might have this. We might have that. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You are one, right? Part of the unity, or part of this, this life worthy of, of, of the calling is us being unified. It's us being a part of each other. And mind you, when Paul talks about being a part of each other, Paul doesn't say, like, part of each other, like, I'm a member of a club, right? Like, I'm a member of, of I don't know, Kiwanis. I don't even know what any clubs are. Um, the Lions Club. I, <laughs> um, or or, or we're, we're, you know, it's not like you're a member of a gang. He is saying you are one with each other. You are a part of each other, just as you are a part of Christ, right? Like you are one with Christ. You are one with the people around you. The church is one. This is not a divide up. It's not a, anything else. This is a spiritual reality. We are a part of each other. Um, and so Paul says, listen, you know, unity because of all of these things. We're not unified because we have the same taste, because we have this, because we have that. We're unified because we are one in Christ, because we're all saved, and in Christ we are unified. We all belong to each other. Um, and he emphasizes this by jumping all the way back to Psalm 68, and he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Um, by the way, he says that this is not Psalm 68. He says, listen, all of you have been given this grace as Christ has handed it out, meaning the gifts that you have to do Christ's work in this church or in the, in the church universal are things that have been given to you by Jesus, like picked for you by Jesus. So some of you are teachers, right? And some of you are good at it, right? Some of you are good at counseling. Some of you are good at, like, sharing the gospel. Some of you are good at um, that prophecy is something he talks about in a minute. And prophecy, literally, we oftentimes think, oh, that's f- telling the future. A lot of times it is saying what God thinks about things in a very straightforward way. Like like my wife, I, I'm not saying that she's got the gift of prophecy, but one thing that I love about my wife is that if, you, if you're doing something wrong, she won't sugarcoat it. All right, Eric, here's what's wrong. If you read the prophets about 80% of the time, that's what they're doing. They're not telling the future. They're saying, hey, you know what? You need to get your act together because these things are not acceptable. Right? Like, that's kind of what, what we understand that to be at this point. Like, all of these gifts, all of these things have been given out as Jesus, like, decided that the church needed them. Um, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. By the, so Paul says, quotes this passage, and he jumps in and he says, what does he mean ascended, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? What does that mean? Like, the early church believed that this means that Jesus went to hell for a little while. Um, that's probably not a good read on this. Um, it probably is a reference to him having become a man, lived amongst us, um, and then he ascends, right? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Um, so, I'm going to back up here. This gave gifts to his people. When you receive a gift, 
I, Mark gave me a fantastic gift. He gave me a, a very small coffee cup um, made, out of a, uh, made out of a bullet casing, like a big bullet casing. Um, and, and it is a very neat gift, right? Like, and that's when we think of gifts, we think of that. And sometimes people have read, gave gifts to his people as a reference to like, oh, well, some people have the gift of preaching, some have this, some have that. And that's a part of it. But there is another part of it where the gifts that Christ gives to his people is other people. Got it? There are folks who are gifted evangelists. There are folks who are gifted teachers. There are folks who are gifted, like, like in one way or another. And those people are a gift to the church. So like when Christ redeems folks, gifts them with spiritual gifts, he gives them to the church for the purpose of building the church. Um, all of Ephesians comes all the way around to this, like, build up the church, like strengthen the church, grow the church, make the church into something better. Um, and so, like, where he's going, ultimately, we get to 11 to 13 here. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is all one long sentence. You like that? Paul is a very fun guy to read. And actually, I split this one too. So, um, <laughs> But I split it because it, it was... Uh, anyway. Um, so he says, listen. Christ himself gave the apostles. So this is the gifts he gives. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. All of these guys have a specific thing in common, right? He doesn't list off every spiritual gifted area. He lists off the ones that work for edification and growth, right? How do you grow? We learn who Jesus is, Right? How do you mature? You learn how to apply Christ's teachings and you follow his teachings and you grow. How do you um, overcome sin and like become more mature and more Christ-like because of it? Well, sometimes people have to tell you, right? Like sometimes somebody has to sit down and say, you know what, here's the deal. I'm watching this and you need to fix it. Um, is that easy? No. Um, but in reality, Christ gives us this gift. The church is given this gift. Why? To build up the body of Christ. Um, so we may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Um, now watch this. This is huge. This is huge, huge, huge. This is the whole thing. If you are gifted, if the Spirit has given you a gift, you have that gift for a reason. And that gift is to build up the church so that the church can do the work. Got it? Like your giftedness is to build the people around you. It is to invest in the people around you. You might look at them and say, but they're a bunch of jerks. They might be, right? But it doesn't change the fact that you have a job and you're supposed to live a life worthy of that. I'm not saying you're all a bunch of jerks. Don't hear me saying that, right? Like, I'm, like sometimes people will look around and say, but I don't want to help these folks. I don't want to. You're given a gift and the purpose of the gifts you're given is to build up the body of Christ, to prepare them to do Jesus' works, right? Like to prepare them to teach others, to prepare them to share the gospel, to prepare them to hold each other up, to prepare them to feed the poor, to prepare them. So you might back up and say, you know what, I don't like that people aren't doing these things. The church should be better at this. Well, our job is to teach them. Your job is to teach them. Everybody who has these gifts, these maturities, these like, like manifestations of the Spirit, this is our job, is to grow and mature the body. Then, 
We will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. So watch this. The more solid we become in following Jesus, the more we mature, the more that we grow, the more like grounded we are, right? The more solid we become. Um, I, uh, I, I always think it's interesting to look at pictures of of action heroes when they're little kids. You ever done that? You look at it like Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was a little kid. Like he did not, like he was not born 300 pounds. I mean, I, I'm sure his mom's happy about that. Um, but he was not born 300 pounds. And at five years old, he could not bench press 500 pounds. He couldn't. You look at him at 20, and he's a pretty big dude, right? You look him at 30, and he's a really big guy, Right? Um, that was not an instant thing. It was a building process. As a little kid, you could probably have pushed him around. If you ran into him again when he was 20, you would regret it. Because like, you, you, know, you can't walk up to a guy like that and shove him. Like he, It wouldn't work, and then he would kill you. Um, like the church, the objective of the church is to grow within, is to grow each other. Look at the guy next to you. Look at the guy behind you. Look at the guy not in front of you. Don't look at me, Jim. Um, <laughs> look at the folks around you. Your job is to grow those people. Well, what if they disagree with me about this, this, and this? So, are you one in Christ? Is there one baptism for these guys and one for that? No. Guess what? It doesn't matter. Your job is still your job. And to live a, job, like, to live a life worthy of that calling to build the folks around you, even if you don't want to, even if they... They eat meat sacrificed to idols, you know, even if they have the wrong political sign in their front yard, even if they, you know, buy the wrong farm equipment. I think that's a big deal around here, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Callan. um, (laughs) Even if, like, it doesn't matter. One body, right? One spirit, one baptism. Like, we are one in Christ. And so, like... I'm not saying that, you know, that, that every believer out there is equal. There are some folks out there who, who practice some pretty unsavory things that are not Christ-like, and we don't jump into that and say this is cool, right? Um, I, I've, had, I've got several really good friends who went to, like, cultic churches growing up, and, and, you know, we don't say, hey, you guys are awesome. You know, good job, you know, doing these things that are just not Christ-like. We, we're not down with that, right? Like, what I'm saying is, um, the folks around you, believers, you encounter another believer, you encounter somebody whose Lord is Jesus, you're both of the same Lordship, you are both one in Christ, you're both one in the church, you are both one in baptism, you are like your family. And your job is to build them up so they become spiritual Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I mean, like the physical thing, not like who he is. I, you know, <laughs> the accent, maybe. Um, Instead, this is 15 and 16, instead, speaking the truth in love. Now, I never knew this. I can't believe I missed this the last time I preached it. Speaking the truth in love, this word truth is a verb. Isn't that crazy? It's not a noun. Like, because the way it comes out in English, it's a noun. So it says speaking the truth in love. It actually doesn't say speaking the truth in love. It says living out the truth, guys. It means knowing who Jesus is, knowing who Jesus called us to be, saying the words and living the life that is exemplifying that truth. And so when we deal with each other, we live out Christ toward each other. The guy next to you wrongs you, 
Father, forgive him, for he knows not what he's doing. He strikes you on your right cheek. How many times do you have to forgive him? Seven? Times 70, right? But at 490, it's all over. (laughs) What if? What if he's the worst guy ever? If he belongs to Jesus, Jesus died for him. What if? What if he... I read a, a really good essay by a, by a black pastor this week who was talking about reading theology from people who, like, who historically have been kind of evil, right? Like, like people who were like believers but also were slave owners. He said, you know what? I read that and I'm not down with it. I'm not cool with it. That, that was sinful. It is not acceptable. But you know what? I recognize that despite the fact that they had sin, if they're in Christ, they're my brothers. And they can hate me, but I'll still love them. Oh my gosh. I like I'm humbled by that idea. I'm humbled because I'm really really like petty. Um, it's easy to be petty. It's easy to look at the other guy and say, "I don't like you." Or I'm an elephant, not a pig, so I don't belong to you. I'm an eye, not an ear. We're not one. Nope. To live a life worthy of the calling we've been called to is to be unified and to build and to use our gifts to build. Um, not to bury them in the backyard, not to use them to serve ourselves, but to use them to grow and serve Jesus' body. Um, instead, speaking the truth in love, so living out the truth of Christ's teachings, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Watch this. From him, meaning from Christ, the whole body, meaning you guys, joined, together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, meaning like Jesus is our master. Jesus is our boss. We belong to him. And in love for him, in love for each other, selfless love, not I get something out of this, not you guys are doing this for me, not you give me all warm, squishy feelings, none of that stuff. It is selfless love, sacrificial love. We build each other up. And each of us does our part, not this guy does his part, but this guy isn't a good enough part, or this guy doesn't, you know, whatever. Like, we're all called to be a part of this. What does it mean to be the church? It means to grow together, to grow spiritually, to challenge the guy next to you to grow, to encourage the guy next to you to grow. When he falls on his face, you don't back up and laugh at him or gossip about him. You lean down, you pick him up, and you carry him if you have to, right? It's my favorite part of the the Lord of the Rings books, when Sam picks up um, his friend and carries him because he can't walk anymore. He's like, I can't do your job for you, but I'll carry you there. That's the church. Carry each other. Doing your job. Um, So building up, I'm going to kind of sidetrack here because I didn't realize this until I read about it this week. Um, Building up the body, the unity of the body, the growth of the church is like, if you read Paul, this is the thing Paul comes back to, and it's the point of almost everything we do. Almost everything we do. So, like personal ethics. In this section, Paul is talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols. And he's like, you can, this is in Romans, you can do this. It's not a big deal. 
Um, it's not a sin to eat this meat. But if it causes other people to stumble, don't do it. Because the whole point of doing one thing or another is to make the other person grow spiritually. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Meaning, if you have freedom, put your freedom aside to grow the next guy. Why do we do right and wrong? Like, why do we choose right? Well, we do it because we serve Jesus, because we're living a life worthy, but also because it builds up the guy next to us. It means I can do it, you know, well, I'm free to do this, but if it causes that guy to stumble, don't, um, is Paul's point. So building up the body is a part of personal ethics. It's a part of choosing things, how we act. That's hard. Corporate worship. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you, um, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Meaning, when we gather as the body of Christ, look around you. This is us, right? We do it to grow together, to build up the church, to build up the guy next to you, to help the guy next to you know Jesus better. Easy? No. Actually, it puts a lot of pressure on Jeremy. It puts a lot of pressure on me it's something that we have to keep in mind and in heart because of the purpose of corporate worship beyond worshiping god and drawing us into his presence is to build the church is to grow the church help us to mature and become like christ even paul's own ministry when he talks about his own ministry he says so even this is second corinthians he's like comparing himself to these super apostles he says so even if i boast somewhat freely about the authority the lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down i will not be ashamed of it what's he saying he's saying listen god gave me authority as an apostle god i mean he's paul right (laughs) like he is paul what is this for to build up the church to help the corinthians by the way paul's writing this they had just kicked him out of town Like like Paul left Corinth right before writing this letter, humiliated, and he's enraged. And like he he literally ran out of town in fear from the church that he planted. And he turns around and he says, hey, you know what? The whole reason I have a ministry is to help you guys become like Jesus. The whole reason Paul did ministry was to build the church, um, to help people become like Christ. What does that mean for us? It means when you walk out of here. You're following Jesus, your growth spiritually, your investment in the people around you is to help them grow spiritually. Your ability to teach, help them grow spiritually. Your experiences, help the guy next to you grow spiritually. I, I talk a lot about my own sin, um, not because I'm proud of it, not because I think I want to put it out there on display, um, but because if I have an experience, I want to use it to help you, right? Every once in a while, I'll talk about the, the gifts of the people in the room. Why do I talk about them? Because I want to build you guys up. Because, you know, where one person is awesome, it helps the guy next to you. That is our calling. That is our job. That's your job in your family. That's the job with your neighbor. That's the job in the church. This is what we're to do. We're to build in Christ. I've gone a little long. I am not sorry about it. I'm going to close in prayer and let you all go. Um, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us. I pray that you would help us to... to Stand unified as the body of Christ to love each other, to serve each other, to take care of each other, and to build each other up. Not, not out of selfish ambition, not out of pride, not out of look at how awesome I am, but out of a calling, a calling to make the people around us like Jesus. I pray that, that you would be with this church and help us to become Christ-like. Help us to serve you and, and like, imitate you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.